I've never seen a diamond in the flesh I cut my teeth on wedding rings Dude, that's pretty oh, cool. Man, that is good. I'm just that sad, is sad clown. Dude, that's pretty good. This is The Gloom, bringing you weekly interviews with F3 Omaha packs, exploring their F3 experiences, and finding those sticky elements that create the glue in The Gloom. And we're back. Uh, we continue to do this because we have so many great leaders in F3 Omaha. And the guy today is is no exception to that. Uh, I know that I have just been inspired by uh, this man's leadership, but also his pursuit of, uh, of fitness. Uh, we'll get into, into that as we go here, but also uh, just his vulnerability uh, coming into the group, sharing who he is, things about his family, and really uh, just leading by example um in a group of guys that um really need that so i've got mulligan is on the the podcast today and mulligan man it's good to see you i'm glad you got on onto the platform uh and uh had a few struggles there but where we'd like to start off is just uh you know tell us who he aged you uh, what was the first workout like and then i think most guys might have picked up on on how you got the name but maybe tell us what it was like in that circle the first day yeah so um I almost hate to say this, but it was Mufasa that got oh, me no. out to F3. <laughs> I, uh, I knew him through a golf league. I, anybody that knows me knows that that's not a surprise. I, I golf frequently. And him and I are on a Monday night league together during the season. And I think it was back in the spring of 21. He We'd come back, and it was the first time I had seen him that year. And he was significantly thinner than the last time that I would saw him. So I just made, uh, you know, the comment, hey, Mike, you look great. Um, what, what have you been up to? And that's when he started going into this uh, cult thing called F3. And I was <laughs> like, okay, well, that sounds really good. Well, you, you look good. And then, of course, it was followed up by the, well, you, you should go try it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, when's that happen? At five what in the morning? Yeah, I, I don't think so. But, hey, thanks for the offer. Maybe sometime I'll go try it. <laughs> and... Uh, I think it was sometime in June that year that I saw him again. And, and he said, hey, when are you going to come out? And I, I said, all right, fine. I'll do it. I'll be out. And also one of the things that most people that know me really know about me is, is I'm not a halfway kind of person. Like I'm in or I'm not in. And if mm -hmm. I commit to something, I, I generally commit all the way. And so... I didn't have that expectation going to it. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go do this and I could see myself do it. I didn't really know anything about it, but it sounded intriguing. And I thought, well, you know, if, if it's something that's, uh, that sounds good, I'll go ahead and, and uh, maybe do it more frequently. Um, I was always a guy or had been for a lot of years that worked out a lot, a lot of gym time, not a ton of cardio, you know, just a little here and there. But, uh, I think it was July of 2021. I went out to my first one at Wild Kingdom, and Mufasa was there, and um, and it was it was a great experience. I mean, it was there was just something different about it. You could tell right away. This wasn't just a a group of guys getting together working out. There was a there was I was just starting to scratch the surface on 
on what this group was about, but there was a lot of depth to it, I could tell. And I liked that part of it. So in that uh, afterwards and and uh, when the name Namorama got done and they said, all right, we got to name you, it was pretty low-hanging fruit. But tell us about yourself. Well, I'm sort of addicted to golf and I love to play and somebody short, short, shouted out Mulligan and that stuck pretty quickly. Nice. And how do you feel? You feel okay about it? It's a good name, I think. Oh, yeah, I feel fine about it. You know, the the ironic part about it is I'm a guy that hardly ever takes a mulligan. And it's not because I don't hit bad shots. I hit plenty of bad shots. It's just because I feel like if I hit another bad shot, I'm just going to be twice as frustrated by it. So like, and also it's one of those deals where, you know, if you truly want to get better at the game, you got to learn that part of it too. There's, that's what's so great about golf. There's a lot of different aspects of learning that go into it and um, learning how to overcome a mistake and get yourself back into the hole. Uh, it goes a long ways in, in overall, you know, how you play and how well you can, you can, or how good you can get at it. Yeah, no, I love it. And you, you've got a couple, is that like an OCC pennant there and a trophy? <laughs> I mean, so you're not just like an average golfer. You, you're way better than Mufasa, right? Uh, you know, Mufasa, he has his days and, and I, I can be sort of inconsistent at times when I'm playing well, I can, I can play pretty well. I, I'm a, I'm somebody who thinks through golf a lot. Like I see the, the strategic part of it. Um, mm. you, you have to, you have to go into it with the same kind of mindset that you have with, uh, with like play, playing billiards or chess or something like that, where you're not just thinking about, um, hitting the ball, you're thinking about, well, if I miss it, where do I want to miss it? You know, um, if I'm 250 yards out, what is the chance that I'm going to actually hit 250 yard shot? So, uh, even if I get it 200 and, you know, 200 or 210, is that a comfortable shot for me? So mm. I'll usually kind of, okay, I'd rather be 110 yards out and take a, a full gap or, or pitching wedge or something to it. Um, so that, I love that aspect of it. You know, if it was an easy game, then it would be boring. I, I like all of that stuff, how hard it is. And that makes it all that more special when you actually play well. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I, um, that must be the thing I'm missing when I play golf. I don't, uh, consider all of those uh, strategic <laughs> choices. So I'll, I'll have to consult you the next time I go. Um, yeah. I, I love it. What, um, so, you know, I guess when I see you out there now, right, like you're pre-running, you're, you know, doing coupon workouts. I mean, I think you, you, and sometimes you're there pre-running before the pre-runners. So have you always been a runner or what was the, <laughs> what were the sort of workouts or what was your sort of fitness routine before F3? Well, it's interesting. So for a lot of years, um, I did more sort of power lifting. And then okay. I think sometime when I got into maybe my mid forties, I was just tired of hurting all the time mm -hmm. from that. You know, it puts a lot of stress on your body. And so I changed to, to circuit training you know, try to keep the heart rate up. A lot of what we do in F3 just it involved weights a lot of times. And, you you know, you throw things in there like um, you know, jumping on a treadmill for a minute or uh, doing some 
side trail hops or something like that for a minute, just to, you know, while you're in between doing sets. Um, and I wasn't a big runner. Now in 2019, somebody had mentioned to me at the gym, I had some friends there and, and this couple that I used to take a class with, and they said, Hey, we're going to run the Lincoln half marathon. And this was sometime in maybe January of that year. And I said, would you want to run it with us? I said, no, that sounds terrible. And then in my true uh, fashion of just how I work and my brain works, it, it stewed there for a little while. And then I was like, you know what? I've never done anything like that. I've never, I wasn't a runner. Um, I still don't really consider myself much of a true runner. Uh, but I wanted to challenge myself. So I said, okay, you know what? I will do it. Um, so I went and ran. And I wanted to do it in under two hours. And unfortunately, that first year, I didn't do it. I kind of hit a wall around mile 11. And mm. I think I ended it like 208 or something like that. So then you, I said, okay, I'm going to do it one more year. And I'm going to try to get under two hours. And of course, the pandemic hit. Um, but the Lincoln Half Marathon was still doing it virtually. So mm. I trained which is really interesting. I'll get back to that later, but it trained for months uh, like I did before in order to be able to do that. And, uh, and then I set out a route and I ended up doing it. And I think like an hour 57. Um, so nice. I was pretty happy. And I said to myself, okay, that's enough of the running. Good job. You can, <laughs> you can give up on that now. So I just went back to kind of my normal routine and uh, then when I joined F3 in 2021, I don't remember how far. I mean, at that point, I was maybe 185 pounds. And uh, and I felt okay about that. But I never ran more than a few miles. You know, at the gym, I might just for a little cardio, I would work maybe three miles a week or something like that. And uh, and then the, the, the pre-running started in. And I was inspired by guys uh, like pantyhose. You know, I think if it wasn't my first, it had to be among my first. No, it was. It was out at the Helix. It was my first pre-run. And pantyhose was there. Um, and I think Chucky might have been there. And maybe Toto. Um, and and Truly, too. And it, and I just remember from watching these guys before, I'm like, boy, that's that's pretty awesome. You know, they get back from a run and... And they're talking about how they're doing seven and a half minute or seven forty-five or whatever. And I'm like, you know, on a good day, my mile looks like 10, uh, 10 minute mile. And so that first day that I pre-ran, uh, pantyhose did it with me. And I can't even tell you, put into words how awesome it was for him to do that. Cause I know in, in being in, in that position now, I know, that we want to get out there and we want to push ourselves. And yeah. the fact that he stuck with me that day and doing 10 minute miles when I know he could easily. And I even tried, I was like, pantyhose, I feel bad. Just go, man. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, and that also was another step to understanding F3 and just the camaraderie and the picking up the six and not leaving a guy behind mentality that f3 has 
And so that kind of started me down the road of doing that. And, and then pretty soon, I don't know how long after, I was like, you know what? I want to see if I can run further distances, you know? Uh, so the pre-runs turned into five miles and then 10Ks. Um, and and then you flash forward to this year, for example, and I would mention that I had been trained for months to go out and do those half marathons before. And now this year, uh, I've done eight half marathons wow. throughout the year, and I don't train for them at all. You know, it's just like <laughs> the, 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 it's so interesting and, and funny, not haha, peculiar to think of myself in that position where like on a random Sunday at the end of the, of the month, I just go out and run a half marathon now. Right. Yeah. Like that's sort of mind blowing to me. Cause that was never, I wasn't a huge cardio guy. Um, and, and now not only do I do it, but shh, don't tell anybody, I sort of enjoy running. <laughs> but you're not a runner yet. <laughs> but I'm not, not a yet. runner. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't think I would like, you see people that have the physique in the build such as yourself for like, I think running is just natural for a guy like you. For me, I had, I had to work a lot, you know, I had to understand um, taking smaller strides and, you know, the Garmin keeps track of how many steps per minute that I'm taking and stuff like that. And I look back and, and learn that it was important for me to take smaller strides so that I wasn't putting as much impact on my knees and my, my hips and my back and stuff like that. So when I'm in my sweet spot, I'm doing somewhere between 180 and 185 steps per minute. And if I'm not getting that many in, that means that my strides are too big. And that mm. usually is, doesn't end up being a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Start getting some knee or, or shin, you know, feet issues when you start. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting that in, um, like in high school, right. I, I was a baseball player, so we didn't run a whole lot. And I tried out one time for, for cross country. And then I found out they run three miles a day. So then I, I said no to that. And then as I got older, I just running has really become my favorite thing, you know? So it's, um, yeah, interesting how we, how we change over time. Yeah, it, it really is. And, um, the thing that I like about that is I, I, I'm sort of a, what's the word sort of an enigma when it comes to things, right? Like I'm very set in my ways and I'm almost a little OCD in the way that I do things. Uh, my wife of 30 years has gotten used to it, and she just she just rolls with it most of the time. But at the same time, I really enjoy growing and doing new things. And I think in doing that, that making yourself uncomfortable, putting mm. yourself in uncomfortable situations allows you the most growth. And uh, when I started running it was extremely uncomfortable and I've gotten a lot of growth from doing it. And so I appreciate that part of it. Yeah. Well, and just your example there, right. Of like, somebody says, would you run this half marathon? Your initial response is no. And then you kind of process a little bit and like, wait a minute, I should probably do that. You know, I, I love that. <laughs> what, what, um, so as you look back sort of, you know, over time, how's your fitness today? Like, do you, are you in the, the best shape of your life or are you getting close to that? Or what, how would you sort of evaluate yourself now? 
I can honestly say that I'm in the best shape of my life. Um, so when I, I wrestled in high school, and even then I was not particularly disciplined. Uh, high school was, I was sort of all over the place. Um, probably drank too much and had too much fun. And so I was in, I was in pretty good shape then, but not shortly after high school, I, I got out of shape. Um, pretty quickly. In fact, I was just looking through a couple of pictures today that are not pleasant to look at. Uh, and there, there's been stretches throughout the years where I've gotten uh, back down to maybe 165 and, and felt pretty good. Uh, but I've never, like overall, the, the cardio shape that I'm in, I feel like the muscle tone um, at, at 53 years old, I didn't think that I would be able to be where I'm at physically. And that feels really good, uh, yeah. you know, to, to think. And then as, a, as part of the respect group, you, you read books and, and to read books like uh, Younger Next Year, where, it, you know, the, one of the quotes in that that I just absolutely loved was, uh, you didn't stop moving because you got old. You got old because you stopped moving, right? Mm. And that one really hit home with me. And they talk in that book about as the older you get, especially past your 40s, you need to be working out six days a week and not like taking walks. Like it's got to be a hard workout, make your body think that it's still in kind of the springtime of its life is, is how the book puts it. Otherwise, your your body sort of goes dormant. And I, I, as much as I run, I mean, I, I run uh, 20 to 25 miles a week right now. And then I do several F3 workouts. I go to the gym at least once a week to do uh, weight training. And the fact that my body can hold up to that at 53 mm. years old, man, do I feel good about that? Yeah. That's awesome. What I'm, I'm curious what, um, you know, life was like for you growing up. Cause you mentioned, you know, wrestling, but like where your folks into fitness or like where where do you think this um sort of mindset comes from of challenging yourself or or i don't know is that from your upbringing or maybe it's something you've developed as you've gotten older oh gosh that's a good question um i think both of my parents had a, a great influence on me my mother was a very uh, empathetic person who always just wanted the best for us so I, I try to have that attitude when, whenever I'm dealing with people, you know, I feel like uh, really connecting with people and, and being there for them is important. My dad, uh, he, he has always been a person that works out from as far back as I can remember. He was, he was a runner. Um, even to this day, he's 75 years old. He goes running, he bikes. Whenever we play golf together, he walks. Uh, the course with me, he's in great shape. So that part of it, um, that those two things, the, both of them probably helped me with that. The but there is a unique part of my personality too, and my brother has it too. And I don't know where we both we we are both sort of like very determined people. When we get our minds set on something, we're we're going after it. And um, I and I don't consider myself like a, a faddish person either, right? Like sometimes people get into 
something and they're really gung-ho about it for a year or two or whatever. And then it's like, eh, okay, I'm done with that. Right. I usually, whatever I get into in life, uh, like I'm there for the long haul. I, I, and I'm doing it because I enjoy doing it. And there's aspects of, of whatever I'm doing that uh, adds value to my life. And, and I want to keep doing that. Mm. You know, I, I love that. I'm curious. Um, how do you evaluate sort of what you're going to say yes to then? Or how do you, cause I've struggled with this over the years, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I'm typically all in, but then if I say yes to too many things then I'm, then I'm stretched too thin. And so I don't know if you have any, any insight or wisdom to share there on um, sort of how do you, how do you make sure the things you say yes to are, aren't going to burn you out? Uh, that's a, that's a great question. And there's, there's sometimes uh, even in F3, where there's so much going on, you can totally overcommit yourself uh, between volunteer things and different workouts and second F opportunities and, and whatever else. Um, I, I don't have a great answer to that. I, I feel like my wife is somebody who has, who's never really put like a lot of boundaries. She's not one of those people that you hear about and uh, the husbands talk about, oh, my ball and chain, she won't let me go do this or she won't let me do that. My wife is totally like, hey, you go do what you need to. But I I feel like I've always been pretty good at policing myself too. I've, I've, I can sense when I'm getting into too much. And there's been times recently where I feel that way. And mm. I need to go, okay, I don't want it to get to a point where she has to say to me, Hey, I really need you at home more, uh, or I haven't seen you a lot lately. I like to be proactive about that and go, you know what? I, I feel like I'm getting to that point. And as much as I may want to go do this or that, I just have to say, Hey, thanks guys. Uh, but not, I can't do it right now. And yeah. I think one of the interesting things is, is people feel it necessary sometimes just to uh, make excuses for why they don't want to do things. I'm typically not one of those guys. It's just like, no, I'm not going to go do this. I don't mean any disrespect for it. It's just I need to hang with my wife or, you know, whatever. So you guys enjoy yourself, but I won't be in on this one. Yeah, I I love that. I think sometimes just knowing, you know, your own capacity and being able to sort of identify, okay, what are those triggers when I get too far in or, you know, need to pull back and, um, no, I, I love that. I, I've tried over the years to use, you know, maybe it's my values or, you know, but my wife gives me pretty active feedback. Uh, <laughs> so I, I tend to hear if I'm uh, doing too much, I hear about it pretty early on. So, which is good, right? I think you know, SkyQ probably speaks to me through, through her if, if I won't listen to him, right? I know um, if my wife is saying something, then it has reached a point where I'm doing too much because she so infrequently does that I know that whatever she's saying is valid. Absolutely. I love it. Hey, you know, I'm curious too, when you think about like uh, the second F fellowship or, or just like relationships, you know, the kind of looking at the, the concentric model, how have you sort of managed relationships coming into F3? Do you, did you have a pretty, pretty good group of guy friends before you started or, or have you built some stronger friendships within the group? Um, I have, I've had some good guy friends over the years, um, but not a lot. Like I'm not a person that surrounds myself with 
a hundred friends. I'm a person that usually has two or three really good friends uh, and a lot of acquaintances and people <laughs> I like to hang out with, but there's only certain people that I go to a, a lot of depth with in my life. Like these are the things that are really going on. Now I have a friend whose name is James, who is not part of F3 and uh, it's not from a lack of trying at some point, <laughs> hopefully I'll get him out there. But he was in, I met him uh, at the place that I work at. I've been there for about 10 years now and I met him early on. Um, and his, his way of communicating is different than how a guy like me was brought up. Like, I don't know how it is for younger people, but growing up, we were, it was the, you know, you don't show a lot of emotion. You don't Mm. talk about what's bothering you because that just shows weakness. You know, there's a certain amount of it that you keep to yourself uh, and you don't burden other people with those problems. Well, he, I was talking about being uncomfortable and uh, going places that make you feel uncomfortable. He would make me feel uncomfortable at times because he was he was much more in in touch with uh, those aspects of his life. I mean, he was more authentic and uh, expressed himself in a way that most guys I know don't. You know, <laughs> very brotherly, uh, nice but warm. And so it kind of put me off in the beginning. I was like, I don't know, this is kind of strange. I'm not used to that. Well, flash forward to when I get into F3 and now I've got a pool of these people, <laughs> you know, like it is so refreshing and it, w- it was honestly like a weight lifted off of me to get into a group like this and realize that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay mm-hmm. to talk about those things that are stressing in your life or that you're having problems with that. They're not there to judge you on it or critique you uh, or call you weak for having them. They're there to help support you. And so I really appreciate that aspect of F3. And there's so many guys in there that I appreciate more than I can even put into words. uh, The conversations that I've had in in pre-running or workouts, the mumble chatter, and just being able to share that and I think everybody knows the story of what's been going on with my son and uh, and his life and I don't know where I'd be if I wasn't able to talk about that uh, with hmm. with these guys. Yeah, I I couldn't imagine. I mean, I just even stuff that I experienced, you know, being a parent and being a husband, right? Even being a friend, that they're just not always easy to manage relationships, and so having other guys to talk through those challenges with is like you said it's so valuable um you know because sometimes like i had one this morning where i showed up to do a smurf and cataracts was the only other guy there and i needed some input on on some parenting stuff and who better to ask than a guy that has nine Mm -hmm. kids (laughs) so i got some you know free advice and ultimately found out like hey you're not alone and you're not the first dad that's had to deal with this raising a daughter you know and it was just so cool to just be met with the guy that I needed to hear from, you know, and somehow SkyQ kind of orchestrates all of that in, in a way that we probably won't ever understand. But hundred percent funny story about that. So I was, I was queuing out at rabbit hole, um, not this last Sunday, but the Sunday before and no cry. It was a pretty small group. It was, uh, no cry pig pen, um, 
Oh, I, I apologize to the other guys that I'm forgetting. Danielson was out there um, and Touche, and that might have been it. And and No Cry was talking, we had been talking about wives and whatever, and, and he had shared that he didn't, he wasn't in a relationship right now, but there was this woman that he, he wanted to uh, start moving to the next level with, and but she was in Colorado. And, yeah. uh, and so I shared a story about how me and my wife, like we were high school sweethearts, but her family moved away to Texas when she was 15. I mean, we were like for a minute high school sweethearts mm-hmm. and, uh, she moved away and I saw her a couple times over the years and, and, uh, that was about it. And then she started calling me, uh, right after I quit drinking, which was 20, like 22 and a half, um, mm. just out of the blue from Georgia where she was living. And we had these conversations for months that were invaluable. Like we, we learned so much about each other. It was, it was kind of like our, our marriage counseling uh, session. And yeah. it was back before the time when, you know, it was free long distance. So, and I thought it was really great because she's calling me every night and it's, so it's <laughs> on her dime. Well, that started in like February of 93 and she moved up to, to be with me in July of 90, uh, 93 and she brought that phone bill with her. Um, it was sizable. Uh, it was, you know, for 1993, it was over a thousand dollars. But it was the, the best money that we ever spent. And I was just telling no cry that like, Hey, this is an opportunity for you. You guys aren't physically together, but if you take this time to get on those phone calls and then as soon as I got done telling that story, Pigpen jumped in and said, well, I hate to jump on a good story, but my wife is from Ukraine and we were the same way. We spoke on the phone and just like you're talking about, there's no coincidences. There's like five of us out there. No cry is dealing with something with this woman that he likes. That's a distance away and at least two of us have these stories about how we talked on our, on our, and Pigpen's been married for 15 years and I've been married for 30 years now. And, and he was like, I really needed to hear that. And, yeah. uh, and, and Touche is like, there's no coincidences. This stuff, it, you know, God brings this together. So it was a great moment. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. It It is. I mean, and there's countless stories just like that. I think it's just, you, you know, showing up and sharing what you're going through and then the other guys, you know, sharing their experience too, which is, which is awesome. I, I am curious, have you, you know, within the group, have you had a chance to maybe form like a, a shield lock or have you found that maybe with the, the respect group or what's been your, your experience developing some of those uh, deeper relationships or has it just been kind of like you said, sh- showing up and being vulnerable uh, in the moment? A little of both, but yeah, I, I do have a, a couple of people in, in a shield lock right right now, uh, slow clap and TC and I, and um, and it's fairly early on in it. We we just probably put this together a few months ago. We've had opportunities to get together several times, and there's been a lot of great things that have come out of it in in even a short amount of time. Just uh, accountability and and being able to talk real with with a couple of people that have life experience and can offer some, some help. Um, and I think we all do that. And outside of that, the other number 
numerous people that I've just had an opportunity through workouts and pre-runs. Uh, one of one of my favorite people in, in F3 is, is Cheap Seats. And, you know, that guy, in a lot of ways, just the real conversation that he brings when whenever you're with him uh, and the, the number of times that he reached, reached out to me to just say, Hey, we're doing a pre-run tomorrow. Are you going to be there? You know, or can you show up? It, it helps keep you engaged. And when you're not feeling like, well, maybe this week, maybe I'll just take it, you know, take it off or something like that. Having a guy reach out to you like that and, uh, and invite you, it's just the littlest bit of incentive that you need to get, out of bed the next morning and go do it. And so yeah. I appreciate uh, him and I appreciate the, so many other guys that have done similar things too. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. And cheap seats will always, he, he asks really good questions. So, and I, I find, you know, he'll kind of bring something up and get you going. And then the conversation just grows and you're like, wow, this is more than I was expecting. In a free <laughs> run. So it's awesome. Right. And the first, I, my first ever, sub eight minute mile five mile run was with cheap seats and it was just a great morning like i we were both you know moving really well and having even with that we were chatting well but it was a big moment for me because you know to, yeah. to go under eight minute mile for one mile or two or three is would be a big achievement but at the time doing that for five miles um it felt really good. Like, boy, th- this is a, a big moment physically for me in my life. Yeah. Do you remember the topic? Maybe the topic got you going. <laughs> uh, it's a good question. I don't remember the topic. <laughs> I know, depending on what I'm talking about, sometimes I'll, I'll run faster. You know, if I'm talking about <laughs> certain things, get me ramped up. Um, I, I want to dive in a little bit. You mentioned, you know, um, if you're not okay talking about this, totally fine too. But you mentioned sort of when you stopped drinking, um, and I think maybe you and I have talked before. But it, but you've been sober now for how long? I think it's I mean, pretty remarkable story if I remember correctly. It was it was uh, New Year's Day, 1993. Just turned New Year's Day, so it's it's been 30 and a half years ago, and there wasn't a there wasn't any like tipping moment uh, i was just tired of living that way you know i would mm-hmm. uh, probably since i was 17 it, i was on a routine of going out and drinking especially on the weekends but even throughout the week uh, i had a group of friends we'd go out and we'd drink until I'd black out until I couldn't remember some of the things that I'd done. And then I wake up the next day uh, trying to piece that together. And my finances were in shambles because I spent money I didn't have. And, you know, my relationships were in shambles because I'm sleeping around with, you know, numerous people and not really having any accountability for it. I just felt like my, my life was off the rails a little bit. Like Mm. I didn't have control over myself anymore. And so I just, I, I'd said to myself, even before that night, I said, this is it. I'm, I'm going to go to this party tonight, this new year's Eve party. I'm going to have fun. And then tomorrow it all changes. And Mm. uh, like I'd mentioned earlier, I'm not a halfway in halfway out kind of person. So I woke up the next day and, uh, and I held to that 
And it was really tough because I was living with a couple of guys at the time. Um, and that's what we did together, right? Like every weekend we went out and we drank together and uh, we drank stupid. <laughs> and then yeah. we'd wake up and we'd recover to only to go do it the next day. So these guys were uh, good friends of mine at the time. Uh, and it, it didn't really sit well with one of them in particular who was just wanted his drinking buddy back. Right. You know, so he would do things like, Hey, just have one beer. It's not going to kill you kind of stuff. And it was, it was clear that that relationship wasn't going to be able to work if I wanted to stay sober. Like I needed to make decisions and that's a hard thing to do. This had been uh, my best friend since, I don't know, I was maybe 14 or 15 years old and we had done so much fun stuff together, but it was a time to make a choice. Like what's, what's best for me. And he wasn't, didn't have my best interest in mind. So, uh, there wasn't, I mean, we did sort of have a falling out about something different, but that's, I had just started taking steps back at that point because I could see that he wasn't going to help me achieve this goal. Um, Sure. And so that's, and, and since that moment, I, I've never drank again. So that was it. It, There weren't, weren't AA meetings involved. There wasn't uh, an intervention. There was just me going, I don't want to live the rest of my life like this. Like I, I see myself doing things and this is only going to get in the way. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And even at before you had family or kids or other things to sort of motivate the decision, you just kind of decided. I, I love that. Um, that you know was not definitely not my story. I wish it was sometimes, but you know, I'm curious. You know, as you're going through stuff with your son, how have you sort of managed that or worked through that? I mean, is there any? I, don't know, I always think, and this is me, so maybe you're you're not this way, but I always worry, right? Of like. I have this addictive personality and is my, is one of my kids going to be that way? And, you know, and ultimately I can't control it, but how have you sort of maybe used your experience or just worked through that with, with your son? Uh, so there's a lot, there's a lot of story to my son that I could go into for a, a long period of time, but I will, I will t- tell you this. Um, he was adopted and we had a chance to meet his birth mother uh, when she was at the hospital and about to give birth mm. and she had demons of her own. She, uh, had substance issues and it was one of the most mature things I've ever seen. She was 23 years old at the time. And she had told me in my life that, that she didn't, her mother had been abusive and she didn't want to continue the cycle. So she wanted mm. to give her, her child up to somebody, um, so that she could end the cycle of abuse of physical and, and uh, substance abuse that her family had. Um, so he came from a background of that. So yeah. knowing that it, I told him, you know, early on in his teenage years, like, be careful of this. I've gone through it myself. You have a family history of uh, substance abuse. So you have to be careful. And I think what ultimately got him with the, with the whippets was that you don't necessarily think of that as a drug, right? Like 
he's he didn't get into heavy drinking. He wasn't, you know, smoking pot or doing cocaine or whatever. Yeah. He just started doing this, and then it's one of these things where it sort of creeped up on him because there's not a lot of physical addiction to it. Uh, so it gets to a point where it's just mental. Like anything that you do, uh, it can be eating, it can be exercising, whatever. You can get to a point where you're addicted to it, and mentally you feel like you need it in order mm-hmm. to keep going. And I think that's where he got. Now, what's different about his situation and mine was that, like I'd mentioned, I just kind of like told myself one day, this is it. I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Uh, and so early on when I learned about his problem and not even realizing how bad it was at the time, I, I thought it was just like that. Let's just do that. Like build them up. Hey, yeah. hey, son, you can do this. You know, you got a great life waiting for you out there. You just need to make a decision to overcome this, to stop doing this. You can do it. I believe in you. And that went on for quite a while. And then uh, when I, when he, when I realized just how bad the problem was, I realized that I wasn't, that wasn't going to be enough. I couldn't rah, rah him into doing something. He had a real addiction that needed to be addressed by professionals that knew what they were doing. So Mm. I had to pivot and say, okay, what, what's our next step here? And that's when, uh, thank God for people like slow, slow, uh, pitch and, and, uh, frosty and touche who got us going to these AA meetings, uh, which got us a step in the right direction. Now yeah. he was still using while we were going to these and he wasn't really engaged in them, but it was a step. And from there, uh, we were able to start looking at like rehab centers and I had to have a long talk with him about that and say, listen, I, we need to get you in one of these places. And he tried to talk me out of it and say, you know, I could do outpatient. I, I'm sure I could do outpatient. And and I said, son, you know, that's not going to be enough. You need, you need this. And I know it's scary. Uh, Sometimes the most important things that we do in our life are scary, but you, you got to do this and you can come out the other side of this and feel great about your life again. And I just want you to, to, to do it. It's not jail. You know, if you got in there and in a week into it, you just couldn't take it. There's nothing saying you can't check out, you know, I I hope you don't do that. And so, uh, eventually he relented and said, yeah, I'll do it. Um, and then we had, uh, kind of a, one last blowout, uh, that went sort of bad that me and my wife, mostly my wife had to get involved with. And, and it kind of sped up that process. And we said, we called the place said, Hey, how about if we bring him in now <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead of later? And they're like, yeah, we got a spot. So bring him in. Um, and then I couldn't since that point, which is 81 days ago today Thank i couldn't you. be more proud about how he has taken ownership of this like you can't as parents as much as you want to you can't do it for them you know right. they've got to want to change they got to want to to do it and he wanted to do it and by the time he got in there and getting a couple of weeks into this i could see that he was really bought into it um it, it, that means for now, everything's great, and I hope that it continues. 
but you know how addiction is. And yeah. it's something you always have to be on your guard for. Never goes away. We were in an Al-Anon meeting not long ago where a woman was talking about how her sister had been sober for nine years and then fell off the wagon, you know, yeah. and was struggling again. Uh, so I stay cautiously optimistic and he's doing great now, but also vigilant, you know, just checking yeah. in with him all the time. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you still feeling strong? Are you having anything that's, uh, that's kind of pulling you that direction? You know, anything I can help out with. So I communicate with him a lot and touch base with him. And what's been the most awesome part of it all plague is seeing him getting back to the things that he loved doing before he got addicted and yeah. he's back to doing those things and it's awesome to see yeah man thanks for sharing the story it's just it's i just get chills right because i identify with so much of of his story and um, just the fact that you've shared it with the group you know along the way and asking for prayer requests and it just feels like we you know, I don't even know if if he knows how many guys he's got rooting for him, you know, and just, um, which is just so cool. I, I guess I'm curious your thoughts on like how that intersects with like the third F and kind of the faith piece. I mean, it's got to take a lot of trust in something bigger than yourself, you know, as you're going through that journey, but what's, what's been your sort of experience with the third F? Well, as you can tell from some of the other stories that I've talked about, I, I, I'm a guy that, uh, pretty regulated about how I do things. Right. And like, I have, I have a plan for how I do it. I can <laughs> see where I want to go and, and how I'm going to get there. Um, and this was one of those big moments where I had to come to the, the conclusion that I don't have control over this. I've got to turn this over to God. Like I can't, I can't come up with a plan that's going to get us out of this as much as I, I try, there's got to be a, a higher power that, uh, that deals with this. And so I, I turned that over to God and said, this is, this is beyond me. I need your help. And the fact that I got, I don't, I don't even know how many hundreds of guys in F3 that were praying for this sort of outcome. Um, when you talk about getting chills, now I'm getting chills thinking yeah. about, and all the guys that are invested, you know, just every time I go to a workout, Hey, how's your son doing? Um, and I'm I'm so happy to share now where he's at. But for so long, when I first brought this up in F3, I mean, it made me sad because yeah. I knew how much he was struggling, but I also knew how much, how important it was to share that and have these guys praying for it. I am a huge believer in God. Um, I know that he is, is the one that's in control of everything. Sometimes I've got to trust more in that stuff. Um, and it's, it's big to me. It's very big to know that all of these guys were saying prayers on our behalf and even just thinking about us. Um, it's, it, it's a little overwhelming. Yeah. I love it. I, it, did you grow up sort of in a faith based environment or, or I guess, how have you any insight into, you know, guys that are looking to develop their faith or grow their yeah. faith, anything you would share there? I, I wasn't raised in a home like that. Neither of my parents. In fact, my mother passed in, uh, in the beginning of 2022, but, uh, she wasn't, she wasn't anti, she just wasn't a big, she believed in God, but she wasn't a, didn't wear it on her sleeve. Didn't talk about it a lot. Uh, did it on her own terms. My father is not, he's an atheist. Um, 
In fact, I would sort of say he's he's kind of anti um, God at times. He, from certain things that have happened to him over the years, he got kind of bitter about it. So um, when I became I became a Christian at thirty, and it is a it's another to me like life changing moment where I was I. I one of my best friends, his name is Mike, and um, I met him at my first IT job, and we became really good friends. And his brother lost his job working for a play at Marriott, and mm. I knew his brother. I talked to him many times, and his brother was a great guy, big believer in God, um, and and he was always like tra- talking about God all the time, and so this job opening came open at my company and he didn't have a experience for that job, but it was run by somebody that I used to run that department and and I had put in a good word for him. And I said, Hey, I got this guy. I know he doesn't know it stuff, but if you give him a chance, he'll learn it. He'll be a great employee for you. And it actually caused a rift between me and that friend because he didn't end up hiring him. And, uh, and I was mad about that, you know, like I, I helped him get to that position at the time. And I felt like, why well, that sort of stabbing me in the back by not helping me out. Um, but I was being selfish, you know, he had every right to go with the guy that he wanted to go with. Well, shortly thereafter, um, he had another opening in there and I said, Hey, I still got this guy, Mark. Uh, I think he would be good. So begrudgingly, he ended up hiring Mark. Um, and Mark was a great employee, but every night I was in a different department and every night I would go out and talk to him after I, I stopped working and he slowly, but surely started, you know, speaking the word of God into me. And I think I, one night I left and I said, Mark, I appreciate all the efforts that, but I don't believe in this and I don't know that I ever will. And he said, just do me a favor. He said, just say that to God. Just go home in a quiet moment and say, hey, God, I don't know that I believe in you. And um, if you're there, just show me that you're real. And and uh, gave me the Lord's Prayer to say. So over that was like a Friday night. And over that weekend, um, I did it. And I don't, I can't explain it. Anybody that's, that's a, a Christian ever been down that road, they know it. It was like the sun was brighter. Uh, mm-hmm. I noticed the birds more. I it was the little things that I'd never noticed before in life. It was it was life changing. I never at that moment after that I never had a doubt again. But the one thing that I would say to people that uh, that are in search um, is that you can't there's you can't be talked into the kingdom of heaven, right? Like there's no proof. Nobody's going to put down a book in front of you or some evidence that's going to go, oh, now I 100% believe. Like the Bible says, it is a leap of faith. And at some point, you either make a decision that you're going to believe in it or you don't. But that's up to you. You know, that's that's how you get there is you take that leap of faith and then it happens. Yeah. Man, I love that. What a powerful story. And and what a great thing to pray, right? It's, uh, like even, you know, it, it helped me in my unbelief, right? It's, yeah. it's like what I hear when I hear you saying that and just a cool way for God to, you know, show you 
you know, who he is and how he's, he's present uh, in our everyday moments, man, that's an encouraging story. If you look through that whole thing, you know, this is the part that, that ends up blowing my mind, Plague, is that I thought I was the great guy because I was working so hard to get him hired. You know, like mm-hmm. I was pulling every string I could to get that guy hired at that job. What I didn't realize at the time is God was doing it for me. I was mm-hmm. working so hard to get him there so he could tell me the word of God so I could become a believer. And it almost brings me to tears just talking about that. Like that is one of those moments in life that I look at and I go, thank you, God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't even know what to say. It was just so uh, uh, unbelievable the way that he used all of that to get to me. Yeah, man, the power of, of looking back, right, and sort of reflecting on those those things and seeing like, okay, you know, just a glimpse of like a, a little bit of how he orchestrates, right? That's uh, that's on my list though of things to ask him when I, you know, <laughs> get to heaven, right? It's like, how do you do it all? Um, right. I'm curious too, you know, the other piece within F3 is, is like looking at leadership and kind of the, the invigoration of male community leadership and curious, you know, just if you have anything you would share from your time as a psych, you, um, you get into launch Coronado really opening up, um, at least opening my eyes, right. To this whole world of men that we maybe weren't serving, right. Before we had a, a low impact, uh, Monday site, but did, I don't know from a leadership perspective, uh, what do you feel like you, you've learned from the group so far? Um, well, the first thing I'll say is that I, I wouldn't want to take any of the credit for that idea. Pat Patton had such a awesome idea when he came up with that based off of the fact that he got injured and, you know, he felt, uh, I think, uh, disconnected because mm. he wasn't able to get out there and still do things. But what a fabulous thing, uh, good thing to come out of something bad. You know, he punctures his lung, I believe, and he's in the hospital for a while. And, and he comes up with this great idea to reach out to people that are already are, are also hurting and keep them engaged in F3. But at the same time, it's also a place where it's less intimidating for new guys, right? Because mm. If you've been sitting on the couch for three years and all of a sudden you see this friend that's in great shape saying, Hey, come on out. You know, I can't go out and run five or six miles and then do a work. What are you crazy? This is a place that's specific for those kind of guys. Let's get you started. Let's get you moving again. Um, And and the thing that I learned most from leadership in that, in in anything over my life, um, in any leadership is, People respond to what you do. And Mm. that old saying about uh, do as I say, it never holds up. Nobody follows people that say do as I say. If you're not setting the example, and that comes as a father, as a friend, as a workout partner, if you're not setting the example of what you think they should be doing, then it falls on deaf ears, you know? So you get out there at Coronado or anywhere else and you say, okay, we're going to push ourselves the best we can today. Whatever the injuries you're dealing with, you know, modify whatever you need to, but get yourself a good workout. And I'm going to be there right, right along with you doing it. Um, And I think that's how you reach people. If I just, if I just sat there and talked to them, like, 
and say, you should be doing this and you should be doing that, but I'm over here doing something completely different. Yeah. Then it, then it's just like, okay, whatever. Who, who is this guy? He's, you know, he doesn't even say, do what he says. So that's, that's what I have learned about leadership. Heck yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it's like we say modify is necessary, right? At every workout, but if there's nobody there modifying, then it's sort of, it's really hard, right? It's like you to come up with those modifications on your own and then to not have anybody do them alongside you, I think is, you know, it's almost like we need to add to that, you know, modify as necessary and so-and-so is going to be leading a modification or, you know, somehow, you know, but, but we, we don't do that. And I think Coronado is just a great example of, like you said, if there's people there that can show you the way, it opens up a lot of doors for guys to, to get involved or get back into shape or start somewhere, which I, it's been so cool to watch that site. Um, man, I, I can't believe how fast the last uh, sort of hour or so went by. I just am blown away by your story and just the, you know, kind of that, the story of your faith and just looking back at all of, of these moments, you know, that, um, that you've had where it's just been, um, I don't know if just all, all of these impactful moments, I, we could probably talk for another hour, but just want to say thank you uh, for opening up and sharing who you are, you know, not just today, but also whenever I've seen you out there, right. I think we've had some great conversations too, that um, have impacted me. So just, just want to thank you for that. And sort of, as we wrap, I, I'm curious, where do you need uh, prayers or encouragement today? Uh, when, if I see you out there tomorrow or the next day, um, how can I be lifting you up or encouraging you? Wow, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, of course, you know my my son and his story, but just getting getting uh, deeper with our relationship with him too. Like one of the, I think one of the reasons that maybe he turned to that um, is that he he felt sort of like an outsider in our own family, you know. And I hate to say that me and my wife are extremely tight. Um, and, and at times I, I think maybe he felt like we were a team of two and he was, you know, out on his own a little bit. We never yeah. certainly wanted it that way. Uh, so we're doing some family counseling now in addition to just get through some of that stuff. And I, and he's living with us for now, which has been really helpful. Um, we've had an a- opportunity to do, some more things together, just watch movies, have dinners. So just pray for that kind of stuff that we can continue to to get closer as a family. Um, And um, patience for me, like one of the things that I struggle with is uh, I I have a sort of the set way of how I do things. And, and my wife is a, is a much more fly by the seat of her pants kind of person. And we do help eat, balance each other out but sometimes i can be impatient when it comes to the things that she's thinking about or how she wants to do stuff and what seems really clear to me like we should be doing it this way you know Mm -hmm. i don't have all the answers uh i think i do sometimes and so just praying for like be more patient be more open-minded listen to people around me more and to the suggestions um would go a long ways yeah, you you and me both, brother. 
<laughs> awesome. Well, I'll be thinking about you on that and praying for you. Um, like I said, th- this has been great. Uh, so just thanks for your your time. This has been awesome. We'll do a little Namorama to close it out. All right, you got it. Brandon Fleahardy, 37, The Plague. The Plague. Brian Vaughn, 53, Mulligan. Mulligan, respect. Do we do, has anybody come up with like a sound, like four or? <laughs> no, I, I think one time somebody did something like that, but no, overall, nobody's really said anything outside of that. Mm-mm. That's right. We got the respect, right? So Yeah, no, the respect. That's good enough. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Plague.